Welcome to Paradis, a broadcast dedicated to helping Christians develop a biblical worldview, preparing us to think scripturally and soundly about our world today. I'm your host, Brian Nixon. Joining me on today's broadcast are my two co-hosts, Dr. Joseph Holden, author, pastor, and president of Veritas International University, and Luke Betzner, pastor, author, and director of institutional effectiveness at Veritas International University. As usual, gentlemen, welcome. Well, it's good to be back with you both. I'm looking forward to our time together today. Completely agree. Thank you, Brian. Well, throughout this semester, our focus has been on apologetics. We've used Dr. Holden's book, Living Loud, as our springboard. On our last two episodes, we answered the question, what about other worldviews? If you missed the episodes, I encourage you to check them out. This week, we're discussing another two-part question. If God exists, why evil? As one of the most common objections to Christianity, or theism for that matter, and perhaps the greatest barrier to faith in God, the problem of evil has been a difficulty for people throughout the centuries. And here's the basic issue. How can a loving God allow evil? And because it's such a big question, we'll tackle it in two parts. This episode will define evil and look at its origin, investigating who is ultimately responsible for evil. Next episode, we'll look at why God allows evil and doesn't stop evil. Could God have avoided evil? And is there a purpose to evil? So to begin our time, I'm going to start with a true story that conveys uh, what we're saying. Um, and I'm going to use an antagonist of the of the biblical faith named Bart Erdman. Erdman was the star student of a biblical scholar by the name of Bruce Metzger. Dr. Metzger was a leading biblical translator and a well-respected Christian. Erdman was a rising evangelical voice, a moody and Wheaton graduate who went on to study at Princeton. Well, it was his time as Princeton he began to study more in depth and question the Bible. But he even had a bigger problem, and that is the problem of evil. So in his book, God's Problem, he outlines the difficulty, how can a God of love and evil coexist? The rest of the story is infamous. He leaves the Christian faith and becomes one of the strongest critics of biblical Christianity. So, Joe and Luke, I know that was a long introduction, but we have to set the stage of how big of a, a difficulty this is. And, and we know that this story, like Bart Erdman, is, is often repeated. People leave the faith or question the faith over the problem of evil, demonstrating you know, how, how many layers and difficult this question is. So, Joe, to begin with, what exactly is evil? And how does the Bible define it? And are there any other understandings of what evil is and why we trip trip up over this question so often? Well, Brian, yes, uh, this is a flashpoint when it comes to discussions about the problem of evil, because if an all-good God exists, then why is evil here? Why do we continue to experience it? And the two questions you asked, first of all, defining evil, how does the Bible define it? 
Well, the Bible talks a lot about death, about immorality, about sin, about lack in moral character. So there's no verse you're going to go to that gives you a precise definition of evil, but we look at evil in terms of bad relationships in the scriptures. Um, we can see how people kill others unjustly and so forth, and we see how immoral decisions are made and the consequences of evil. But the largest evil defined in scripture is that problem of sin. It's a lack of right relationship ultimately with God. But there are also other understandings of evil. I mean, some people traditionally to answer this question, have either changed the nature of evil or changed the nature of God to accommodate their worldview. You know, for example, the the belief of illusionism, that evil is not real, it has no extra mental reality at all. Um, that is a change of evil to accommodate a certain worldview, and largely that's held in the Far Eastern religions. But then you also have people in the West that talk about the fact that evil is real, but they'll deny God's existence altogether. And that would be atheism, of course. So I am very thankful that there's an intellectually satisfying answer to what evil is than it's been talked about some 15 to 1700 years ago. In fact, the early thinker Augustine in the mid-fourth and early fifth century AD He was a person that was trapped in a, um, a belief system, much like a cult. It was called Manichaeanism, where he believed that the eternal principle of good and the eternal principle of evil were warring with each other with no end in sight. It would be an eternal cosmic conflict between good and evil until he heard about Christianity and its solution. And then he put his mind to work to be able to solve the problem of evil and give us a great definition that's intellectually satisfying uh, for most of us. Even today, we use his arguments about what evil actually is. What is its nature? What is its substance? But, but before he did that, he had to work out what the problem was. And the problem is basically this. God made everything. Evil is something. Therefore, God made evil. See, that's the problem. And as Christians, if we don't um, give a, a satisfying response to that, it will look as if God is the one that's responsible for all the evils in the world. And so in his book, Augustine's works, the Confessions in Book Seven and City of God and his anti-Manichaean writings, he formulated a new response to that earlier argument against Um, the Christian worldview and his relationship to evil. He said, God created all things. Evil is not a thing. Therefore, God did not create evil. And the big crux of its definition of what evil actually is, is the pinnacle of the genius of his answer. Now, we all agree that God created all things, whether spiritual or material. He's the one that we have to look to. But the second premise, evil is not a thing, is where his genius really surfaces, because Augustine said, evil has no existence in and of itself, and it's not a thing like a material thing or a biological thing or even a spiritual entity like an angel, if you will. It is a lack, a privation, and a corruption in good things. 
So evil cannot exist unless there's a good host for it to exist in. And therefore, God did not create evil because evil can only be like a parasite, like rot to a tree or rust to a car or even a a moth-eaten hole in a garment. The hole in the garment does not have independent existence in and of itself. It has to exist in a good host, a shirt. And if you take that hole in and of itself, a hole is a lack of material. It's a privation of what ought to be there. And so Augustine gives us that that satisfying answer, at least for me it is, and for many Christians around the world, that God did not create evil directly. He simply made evil possible, whereas man makes it actual. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point. It's the corruption, the defacing of of what is good. God created what is good, and what you're saying, Joe, is Augustine is saying God created that which is good, but humans corrupted that which is good. That's right. And I think that Augustine's main contribution to the problem of evil is defining evil as a lack in something or a corruption or privation in something. It's not a thing in and of itself. It has no material molecular structure. It is can be defined in terms of lacks and privations. The rot to a tree uh, does not exist in except that it exists in a good host. A broken arm cannot be broken unless there's a good host for that physical evil to ultimately come about. So good. So good. And I'm glad you brought up Augustine. Luke, let's let's move to you. Kind of, you know, the same question. Um, give us some insight into uh, how the Bible defines, and Joe did a great job at that, but maybe explore or expand upon it, and maybe even explore or expand on what some general understandings of evil are in the world. Absolutely. So I would completely agree with Dr. Holden that evil is, of course, the lack of the good. From a biblical perspective, one of the things that resonates with me really strongly is where it talks about how that God made man in his own image, and that the image of God, while preserved in man, is now marred by sin, but there was a point at which that was not true. And to then, if if sin requires an agent, if it requires a host, and we know that in God there is no darkness at all, then the host can only be that which is created as a sentient free will being that has the ability to choose that which is right and wrong. And this goes along with the thought that God does not do things because they're right, they're right because God does them. So he is impeccable in the classic sense, incapable of sin, and therefore could not be the host of evil initially from which evil sprang when he created those things which were in his image. So this is a post-creative event when we talk about the origin of evil, that exactly as Dr. Holden said, becomes that which is hosted by that organism, in this instance, angels, and we'll talk about this in a few moments, I assume, about the origin of evil, but it's hosted by those who have a choice to do something that is not indicative of who God is, and therefore um, can become host to that action and agency of sin. But scripture says it this way. It says that God has created man upright 
but man has sought out many inventions. And so when it comes to how typically people have thought about what is evil, there's almost as many definitions of evil out there as there are people who have written about it. And I did take some samplings of that. And as uh, Dr. Holden has referenced the Augustinian view, there are also people who would go toward an Irenaeus, a view that Irenaeus would hold or that Origen would have hold, held. And these men, exactly as Dr. Holden had mentioned, they either take something away from man or they take something away from God or do so simultaneously in their view. But more modern theologians, theories that people might be more familiar with now, have originated saying that that evil is not something that is about a particular action, but rather is about the outcome of the action. And we would call this a very pragmatic view. Sort of the ends justify the means. So the initial the initialization of an outcome that we would normally call an action in their thinking doesn't have any moral or immoral implication initially. It stands alone, which is a hard thing to substantiate, but some believe this, that it's actually the outcome, the consequences, sort of the long view of that action that determines whether or not it was a good or evil action. Others say that it's about how something is immediately affected. So the motives of the individual that is actualizing, this is the origination of evil. Now, we would say that despite the ivory tower views that are often held in many places, the practical view of this is the general person who is badly affected by something that someone else does is going to presume that that is an evil action. The difficulty of this is that there's a couple of different concepts out there. There's the moral concept of evil, and then there's natural evil, as people have divided. And some people don't accept that as a division, but some people do. And they, instead of putting it all into one big box, anything that affects someone badly, they're saying, well, there's no known agency for natural evil, like a hurricane or an earthquake we may differ on that theologically within the theological community because God has clearly used certain events to judge people. But this is still sort of an anthropomorphic view. It's basically, is it evil because of how it affects me? Then there's moral evil that people would say there are actions that are objectively evil, like the murder of the innocent that you you mentioned, Brian, or the uh, the destruction of something that is sacred or something where a person has a malicious intent, regardless of the deed that they commit, that intent flavors the moral character of that action and would be something that is evil. And so we have things that we might take from very early or things that are taken much more lately that are considered, William Lane Craig talks about this um, in some of his work. William Hasker talks about this in some of his work where they struggle with these, these definitions between righteousness and evil. And does man have the right to consider 
in in a moral context that God is somehow morally inferior enough to him to be judged by men's opinion of what is good and evil. And so you have two two competing theories here. The conditionalists will hold to the idea that God shouldn't do things that they don't think he should do because they don't like them, whereas people who are more of the traditional ideas of God's judgment are going to hold to the fact that God is the definer of what is good and evil and that he's always going to do what's just, he's always going to do what's right, and we have to adjust our frameworks according to what he says. And Brian, so, if if you might uh, allow me to add, the uh, those are all you know tremendous responses by Luke. But you know some people come and approach Augustine's view as him saying evil is not a thing, as equivalent to saying evil is nothing, that yeah. it's not real, and that's not what Augustine is saying. Augustine is saying that evil is not something material, but it is nevertheless real. I mean, we have all kinds of things that are real but not material, such as logic and knowledge and ideas and and so forth. So that shouldn't be a stumbling block to anybody who comes to Augustine's view and seems to think that either Christians are dismissing evil. It is certainly not an illusion. It is real. Just ask anybody who has experienced it um, completely, and uh, they would they would agree with that. Yeah. Gentlemen, both amazing, great insight. But what, what it does is it shows the complexity of the question. And and really, as you pointed out, Joe, we have to be very specific in, in how we answer this. So let's go on to the next question that you both alluded to in your answers. And that is, where did evil originate? And I'll, I'll preface this by just saying that in his book, The End of Christianity by Dr. William Dembski, He makes it a point to say that evil didn't originate on earth with Satan, but natural evil traces to the personal evil of the first humans, a.k.a. Adam and Eve. So, Joe, as you know, and Luke, as you know, a lot of people distinguish between what we would call natural evil, that evil that which is manifest here on planet earth with humans, and that which is supernatural evil. So, like last time, let's begin with you, Joe. Kind of unpack that. Take us or talk to us about where evil originated and maybe help us, our listeners, learn and to distinguish between natural evil and, let's say, supernatural evil. Well, Brian, those are all good questions because it all starts with where it came from. And evil's origination, according to scriptures, in fact, if you look to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, and even Jesus's statements in the Gospels, uh, that you'll find that he points back to Satan, who was created originally good with a free choice. And Isaiah 14 says, he said in his heart, And so many suggest that, and I believe it is true, that evil originated in the heart of an angel. It was Satan or Lucifer's uh, decision to uh, put himself above God, and that's where evil started in the cosmos. It wasn't on earth originally. It was in heaven in the bosom or the heart of an angel. And as a result, ultimately, he came to earth to tempt Adam and Eve And Adam and Eve, of course, had free will, free choice to either praise the Lord or or, uh, curse the Lord or eat of the tree on the forbidden uh, fruit or not 
eat of the forbidden fruit. But that free choice, obviously, we know the story. They fell, and in Genesis 3 and in Romans 8, you find that creation was subject to futility. In other words, uh, the ground was cursed in, in Genesis 3. In Romans 8, Paul, creation is subject to corruption and futility, and therefore you have both moral and natural evils coming into the earth based on the free will decision of Adam and Eve to disobey. Now, the rub here on the natural disasters, uh, natural evil, if you will, is that some people find it problematic in that why do natural disasters cause the innocents to suffer and to die? Um, Well, I, I think the big flaw in that logic is thinking that there is anybody who's innocent in this world. We know that Romans 6 says everybody, the wages of sin is death. Romans 5 says sin spread to all men and thus death spread to all men as well. And so there is none innocent in these natural disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, ultimately take life sadly, um, but ultimately there is none innocent to ultimately say this was unfair to God. Remember, God holds the pink slip to life, and therefore he is authorized to take life whenever he wants it. We are not, but he is. In fact, if you go to the Gospels in Luke chapter 13, you see that there is a contingency that comes to Jesus and says, you see what Pilate, Pontius Pilate is doing to these Galileans? He's killing and murdering a whole host of Galileans. And Jesus basically responds that, do you remember the tower that fell at Siloam and how many people were killed there too? Well, if you don't repent of your sins, you're going to be uh, lost as well. So he doesn't really deal with the subject of natural disaster or whether it's just you know an immoral act from Pontius Pilate. He said the bottom line is that there are none innocent, all are sinners, and therefore all are subject to suffering and death. Mm-hmm. So what we can say the bottom line is uh, God made evil possible by giving Satan and humans free choice, but man makes evil actual. And we don't shake the fist at Henry Ford for inventing automobiles. Um, we don't. We we blame the drunk driver for all those accidents. Uh, we don't blame Henry Ford. Uh, he just made auto accidents possible, whereas the drivers today make them actual. Yeah. So, Joe, I'm going to back up a little bit and and um, connect two different thoughts and from two different questions. Um, some some of our listeners may be saying, so in the first question, uh, we said evil isn't real in 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 a kind of a, a metaphysical sense, so using Augustine logic. My follow-up evil, question. Evil we, isn't isn't material, but it material, is real. Right. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, material versus real. But would you say that what you're saying is it originated with Satan? And at that point, it became uh, it became a thing. It became I- an object uh, as a distortion of good. How would you unpack that? You know, going back to that moment, because if it wasn't real, if it, I mean, if it didn't exist, Satan brought it into existence. How do you think that transpired? 
Well, like any creature that has free will, who's a moral agent, uh, like angels and human beings, Satan simply with a raw act of decision decided to disobey God or to be lifted up with pride, as the Bible suggests. That At that point, he introduced evil through disobedience and pride, and there becomes in him a lack of proper relationship with God. So he was damaged goods at that point because there was something that lacked in his nature now, in his decision-making. He lacked a proper relationship with God and his will. He lacked proper relationships as a standing before God. He apostatized from his original domain as an angel of God. And ultimately, it was a lack in relationship. And many of these evils can be defined in terms of a lack of proper relationship to something else. Um, If you take a, a bullet, there's nothing evil about a bullet in and of itself. But if the bullet enters the body, there's a lack of proper relationship between the bullet and the human body. And so there lies the physical evil. Uh, there or with drugs. Drugs are often made with uh, things that God created originally. And you take too much of the drugs, there's an improper relationship uh, between those drugs and the human being. So we can say there's a lack of proper uh, relationship between those two entities. So the same is true in the spirit world. All us humans have a lack of proper relationship to God. And the only thing that can solve that lack and to give us fullness of joy and spirit and repair that damage would be a spiritual solution through receiving Jesus Christ uh, by faith alone. So the original act came from Satan. And remember, there's only three ways or options people can choose as to how evil got here when it come to how it originated. They can say it was uncaused. In other words, it just came willy-nilly without any apparent cause. But that doesn't hold water because it violates the law of causality that says every effect must have a cause. Every action must have an actor. Every event must have a cause of the event. And then secondly, some people choose the fact that um, it was caused by another, my evil action or my decision, uh, the devil made me do it, or um, my my parents raised me this way, they made me do it, or something else. We point the finger outside of ourselves, but that problem arises where there's a lack of moral responsibility, and it also lacks uh, the causal connection between effect and cause or actor and action. Uh, nobody can keep saying the devil made me do it. What is the devil going to say? Some other devil made me do it? Did Lucifer have a Lucifer tempting him? Well, no, uh, because there was nobody tempting him. So that's why we say it was a raw act of free decision originally with Lucifer. But the only other option, the third and final option, is that our actions are self-caused. That means that we have the moral responsibility to be accountable to our actions. Um, And it preserves the law of causality that every actor or every action must have an actor. So um, when it comes to the origin of evil, uh, the devil or Lucifer uh, was originally created good. He made that decision ultimately to fall because that's the only option that preserves moral responsibility and the law of causality. Uh, Any other way either removes moral responsibility, meaning that God can't condemn anybody for what they do. Nobody can be sent to jail because it's always somebody else's fault.
But as we know, the buck starts with Satan because there was no Satan before Satan to tempt him. Had to be a raw act of free will. So good, so good. And I, I know our astute listeners are probably saying, hey, hey, why didn't God stop evil? But listener, you're going to have to wait till next week because that's one of our primary questions for next week. So let's just get back to this question, where evil originated. Luke, do you have any more insight to piggyback off of what Dr. Holden just said? Sure. I just wanted to throw a couple of things out there that really encapsulate, uh, actually elucidate, I should say, couple of verses. Ezekiel 28:15 is probably the clearest statement of this where scriptures are addressing the person of Satan as represented by the king of Tyre. It says, "Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee." And so the origin of evil clearly in full agreement with what Dr. Holden has said starts with Satan himself and then two Romans 5.12, as by one man, sin entered into the world. So we see the cosmological origin of sin happening in heaven, in that court, and we find the terrestrial origin of sin happening at the point where men decided to align themselves. And I'll be brief on this, but the analogy that really is able to help me visualize this is the idea of righteousness is you could probably very simply state it as linear perfection. It's the idea of straightness, the idea of the perfect line. And this is God. He is the perfected element that's in the picture. And any misalignment with him, think of it as a perfectly straight line, and another line that's immediately parallel to it suddenly begins to bend in some direction or another, or as in Satan's case, become entirely perpendicular to the linear perfection of God and actually starts going in the opposite direction entirely. And anyone who aligns with that, which is not aligned with God as the perfect standard, as it says in Romans, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, the perfected nature of God. And we choose to do this with our free will, and Satan did the same thing. And thus, sin becomes actualized, as Dr. Holden pointed out, through an agent that has chosen to choose a different course for their own life, one that was separate from what God's nature would teach us about how we ought to best live. And we then say, well, no, my best life looks different, and so I'm going to use what I've been given to satisfy myself in some manner that ultimately is less satisfactorily, less satisfactory, ironically, and then as a result of that introduces all of the moral consequences and even physiological, psychological, spiritual consequences that come from misaligning ourselves with our spiritual archetype which is God, we're made in his image, and we can't choose to live apart from how he is without suffering the consequences. So the origin of evil, clearly, just to summarize my point, is you know, it's not in God, it's in that which he had created, who then chose to become misaligned with the perfection that he represents and clearly demonstrates, and to then go further and to actualize that into what 
the scriptures call a nature, which now constantly within us represents that misalignment and continually tries to pull us into its gravity in opposition to what it is that God has designed us for. Mm. Great analogy and great, great answer. So, so good. And, and, and again, th- this is such a deep question and you guys are breaking it down, hopefully for our listeners to really chew on and, and think about. So we're going to move to the final question of this episode. Of course, we're not finished at all with this topic. We have a whole nother episode dedicated to it. But the final question for today is really comes down to what we've already alluded to. Who is responsible for Adam and Eve's sin? Was it themselves? Was it Satan? So who is responsible for Adam and Eve's fall? We'll start with you, Joe. Well, as I explained before, there's only three possible uh, solutions to account for Adam and Eve's decisions. One is, you know, it was uncaused, uh, but that violates the principle of causality that says every action must have an actor, every effect must have a cause. And then they could, uh, some could choose the un, uncaused, uh, that it could, you know, again, just it needs a cause to to account for it. And then they could say it was caused by another which points the finger outside themselves and puts the blame on somebody else, but that removes personal accountability and moral responsibility. Uh, Unfortunately, that can't be it. So it has to be the third option, uh, that their decision to disobey God and to introduce uh, evil into the world uh, among human beings was self-caused. They were to blame for it. But, you know, Brian, even a larger question emerges from Uh, who was responsible for Adam and Eve's sin, some might suggest that it's impossible for evil to come from what is good. And when God created the world, he, every day he created, he pronounced what he created as good over and over again. And everything God does must be good. His purposes must be good. And he created Adam and Eve good. So where can evil have a foothold or a ground by which to even come into the world? We have to remember to answer that question is that God created Adam and Eve with the perfection of freedom. And freedom is a good. It's the power of contrary choice. Uh, They had the, the ability to praise God or to blame God, to obey him or disobey him. And that's the very thing that makes love meaningful is that we freely love God. So God made evil possible by giving them that freedom, um, but man, Adam and Eve, made it actual by misusing that freedom. Hmm. So, so good. Well, Luke, let's give you uh, some opportunity to chime in on this uh, question. Um, You know, who is responsible for Adam and Eve's sin? I think it's a great question because it does play to some of the scenarios that are out there. And I agree completely with Dr. what Dr. Holden has said regarding the agency on this. It had to have been an act of free will whereby they took what was given to them and used it in a way that they were being told not to use it. And in addition to that, being told there were going to be far greater consequences if they did so. Some theological systems will come in and they'll try to use what they call the law of secondary causes, which I'm rather dubious on whether or not it's an actual law. But 
suffice to say, they'll say that God is ultimately at fault because he placed the tree in the garden, knowing that Adam and Eve would therefore eat of it, knowing the desire that it would present for them, knowing all of these things. And therefore, even though Adam and Eve actualized it, God's the one who is responsible because knowing that this was going to happen, he allowed the opportunity for it to take place. And that's all very fine and good. But the gymnastics still do not remove the assertion that Dr. Holden has rightfully made. And that is, no matter what the influences are and how one might be able to try to assign blame for the opportunity, the actualization is not based on opportunity. It is not based on desire. It is based on choice. And one yielding to something that is appealing to them rather than what they were told to do. So the initial dynamics of that choice do not change regardless of those things which would be brought to bear to influence them. God deliberately presented this choice to them to find out where their hearts would lie. And having just had a recent example of that, recent being used relatively, in heaven where Satan's in the perfected presence of God. And as you pointed out, Dr. Holden, there was no Satan to tempt Satan. He chose this without having any alternative frame of reference by which he might compare what God's perfection was with what he was trying to figure out on his own. And Adam and Eve are in the same boat. They're there. They have no alternative frame of reference. The Bible says they were innocent concerning good and evil. And it wasn't until they chose to actualize what God had specifically forbidden that they began to experience, their eyes were open, knowing good and evil by experience. They then began to be those vessels, those those hosts in which that sin nature abides and which is passed on. As it says in Scripture, therefore death passed upon all men because of that choice, and they passed it on to their progeny. So At this point, the responsibility, regardless of the dynamics and the motives behind the dynamics, cannot be removed from the agents that made the choice, regardless of how alluring it was or how confusing it was. And we see this in Genesis 3. He says very clearly, why did you do this when I told you what was going to happen when you did it? God does not cut him any slack for the fact that they liked the way that the fruit looked or that they really wanted to know what the the devil was talking about. He's saying, this makes it very clear that you equivocated my priority as your creator with a message that came from something and someone else. You chose that, and with it comes the consequences. So I would wholeheartedly agree the responsibility falls solely upon Adam, according to Scripture, even though Eve was beguiled and the Satan's condemned for beguiling her, but nonetheless, as an Adam, all sin. So good. And it, again, it just shows the depth of, of this question and, and the various aspects to consider. And of course, again, our listeners are saying, well, why didn't God stop evil? You know, could could evil have been avoided? Is there a purpose to all of this? And of course, you're going to have to listen to next episode where we where we dig into that. But for now, um, we're just going to conclude as we normally do, where we give recommendations on books for our listeners to read. Obviously, this is a very engaging topic, an important topic. As we started the broadcast, it has caused many people to, to stumble. So 
Joe, let's start with you. What books would you recommend our listeners to read on the topic of evil? Well, there's there's a couple there. One as a popular lay introduction to the problem of evil, uh, Norman Geisler has written If God, Why Evil. That's an excellent book, a short paperback that gives you the need to know uh, issues and, and really discusses these issues we discussed today and will next week. And then you have Augustine in his Confessions, especially Book 7 and his uh, work, The City of God. And, and if you want to do some uh, further reading in his work on the anti-Manichaean writings, um, he, he definitely unpacks the whole Augustinian uh, proposal for the problem of evil. Great recommendations. How about you, Luke? What books would you recommend? Um I would say there's a couple of books. I just want to throw something out there along with this, and that is when we're making the book recommendations, we do not want our listeners to think that we are endorsing every single thing that is in there that they may be exposed to upon their examination of literature with this problem, but in the exposure to retain the guiding principles that you might find in the books, such as If God, Why Evil by Norman Geisler on the Augustinian view. As one delves into this, there's a lot of there's a lot that's been written and there's a lot of things that are not correct because they go against the primary principles of the word of God. So we would encourage our believers to first, regardless of what books you choose to read, to remember the statements that scripture make and to make that same choice that Adam and Eve did to follow the words of the creator rather than the things that men have written about him or the things that are being said about him. Let God be true and every man a liar. So as we go into these things, one of the books that I I would recommend, in fact, I'm just going to make one recommendation because it's enough material right there, but it's called God and the Problem of Evil because it holds five views. And this is just going to be a survey. It's not an endorsement of the views. But uh, William Lane Craig, William Hasker, Thomas J. Ord, and Kerry, these gentlemen have all contributed to this, and we would take umbrage at several different things that are being said in that book, but as far as an idea of what people are saying and what the problem constitutes, this wouldn't be a bad place to start as a survey for the different views that are out there about it. Well, thank you for those recommendations. I know our listeners appreciate it. And gentlemen, thank you for your answers uh, to this difficult question. They were cogent. Um, they, I really believe they're going to help our listeners to, to wade through these waters. So we appreciate you having on the broadcast today. Well, it was good to be with you both. God bless you. Very enjoyable. God bless you folks as well. Well, join us next time as we continue our discussion on the question, if God exists, why evil? Until next time, proclaim the gospel, equip the saints, and defend the faith. Thank you.